Okay. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks so much for coming out tonight. I'm really excited to have Father Dave Pavanka with us tonight. Father Dave is Franciscans with a TOR and has spent a lot of his time as a priest and in the community at the, Uni- the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and has been involved in a ton of different projects, one of which you may have seen most recently is The Wild Goose is Loose, the, his spirit, his series on the Holy Spirit, which has been pretty incredible. And if you've come to confession to me in the last couple of years or so, you may or may not have gotten a penance to watch one of those videos uh, and spend a little time praying with it afterward. It's a good thing, right? It's, it's growth and holiness and virtue. That's right. It's, it's one of those positive penances. Perfect. Well, great. So um, we're just, again, really excited to have him tonight to be speaking as there's a new project that they have, a sign of contradiction about the life of St. Francis and how the Lord used him in a really powerful way. And so what a gift, a man who's very imbued with the life of Francis and empowered by the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us about that. So I'll open up in prayer and then just invite Father Dave to come on up. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and we praise you and bless you. We ask that tonight you would allow our minds and our hearts and our souls to be fertile soil, that your word may bear great fruit in our life. May you anoint Father Dave in a unique way that he would just speak what you desire, Lord, and that we would be open to receive that, particularly coming to know you more deeply through the lens of the life of St. Francis. And so we entrust ourselves to you tonight through the intercession of St. Joseph and the Immaculate Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was in a, when did we run into each other? About a year and a half ago? Two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in Mobile, Alabama, and Father says, oh, you know, hi, we chatted for a little while. Um, and he said, you should come to LSU. It's like, oh, that'd be great. But a lot of people say, you should come and do something. Father actually emails me and says, you should really come. Um, so I'm going to be in Broussard. Is that how you say it? Bruce, sorry, Broussard. All right, Broussard. So Father asked me to come down and spend a little bit of time with you here, and it's actually my great pleasure to be able to do it. I want to just maybe just sit in a moment of prayer just for a second uh, to continue to build on what Father said. My suspicion is, is we come maybe tonight hoping to hear something about St. Francis or something like that, which is great. Uh, the question I ask yourself, and this is rhetorical, is did you expect to encounter the Lord? Did you expect to be able to come here tonight and then when you leave, your life is actually different? And that's my hope, is, is that I think we need to get, as Catholics, get into more in the habit that every time, every event that we come to, we have the opportunity of encountering the Lord, and from that, our life is changed and made different. Amen? amen. So I say amen, you respond. Amen. 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 So let's just pray for a moment. This also takes some of the pressure off of me, because I'm just going to ask God to do what God wants to do, and then I can just basically say whatever, and if you didn't get anything out of it, it's not my fault. <laughs> so we take a moment and open our hearts to the Lord. Lord, that you would come with your Holy Spirit. 
that you would open our hearts that we could hear what you want us to hear. That we might encounter you. St. Francis, that you would intercede for us. Amen? Amen. So, uh, it was March, maybe eight or nine years ago, I should probably know this. I'm sitting in a friary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we've got a new pope. So the pope comes up on the balcony, and we're trying to understand what the speaker is saying, and we hear Francesco. And we're like, did, did they just say the pope took the name Francesco? Because we've never had a Pope Francis. So we, being Franciscans and knowing that he was a Jesuit, immediately figured he was probably St. Francis de Sales because he's a good Jesuit and it's not. So I begin to ask myself, why St. Francis? Why does he choose? At this particular time, why would we have a Pope that chooses to do something that nobody has done before in its history? Which really caused me and asked me to say, well, what might St. Francis have to say to the world today? Why is it that Francis takes that name, hopefully inspired by the Spirit of God, to be able to choose that in, in fact, saying something to the world? Maybe something that we, be, we need to be able to hear. So this was beginning the genesis of, of creating the film that we did. So the, the name of the film is called Sign of Contradiction. You can go online on my website. I, I have bookmarks that I can give everybody with, with addresses and that kind of thing. But we begin to ask the question of, of what does it look like and, and why might he have taken the name of St. Francis? Uh, and we begin to develop what is turned into be a film called Sign of Contradiction. It's about a 75-minute documentary. And there were a couple of things that motivated me to be able to do this. So I'm going to just ask, this is a very overachieving group, I'm sure. But what do we know about St. Francis? So just tell me a couple of things that we know about St. Francis. He's from a rich family. Good, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Right, that Francis came from wealth. Right, right. What else? He loved animals, and I appreciate you saying that because everybody says that. So that's right, that's right. Absolutely, absolutely. There you go. Rebuild my church. He, he hears the Lord say to him to rebuild the church, and we'll talk a little bit about that, right? Good. That's usually about it. Yeah. He went to the Holy Land. He did. He did. He wanted to be a martyr, uh, so he chooses to go to the Holy Land, and lo and behold, he doesn't get martyred. So that's really a bad day if you don't get what you want, right? <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, okay? So my experience is, is in everywhere I ask, I get basically the same thing. So there's a few things that people know. One of the things that I often hear is the quote of St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. You've heard that before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Francis did not say that. So I want to just put that out there at the beginning. A lot that we actually know of St. Francis, in fact, St. Francis probably didn't do. But one of the things that everybody knows about St. Francis is that he loved animals. Which is, as a Franciscan, is great. Like, my mother named her dog Francis. And I just chose not to call her Francis. I called him Frank. I was not going to call the dog Francis, right? But one of the lines that I say is, is that Francis was more than a birdbath, Right? So you're going down the street, and you look in the back, and you see this little bird bath, and there's Francis. And I want to suggest that if that's all we know about Francis, uh, then maybe we're going to discover something profoundly different. I was in, actually, in Assisi, and has anyone been to Assisi? Okay, Father, let's do this in Assisi next year. Okay, there you go. It's, it's scheduled. He just said, yeah, yeah. It's really one of my favorite places in the world. 
So if you haven't been to Osizi, please, please do your best to be able to get there. So I'm in Osizi, and we're just beginning working on the film, and I was asking everybody, what do they know, what do they like about St. Francis? And I was talking to this particular waiter, and he, he went on this big list about what he liked about, about St. Francis. Uh, St. Francis in ecology, St. Francis and animals, all of these things, St. Francis and the poor, all wonderful things. But then he ends the conversation with, oh, whoa, but, but I don't like Christ. That whole Christ, that whole Jesus, the whole church, that I'm not into that at all. To which I would say it's impossible. That it simply isn't possible to understand who Francis is and what animates Francis's life and not be enamored by Christ. Because ultimately, that's what, what Francis was enamored by. What, what transformed or what changed Francis's life was this encounter that he had with Jesus that profoundly changed him. So for an individual who can say, I love Francis, but I don't love the Christ, or I don't love Jesus, says that they clearly don't understand who Francis was. So one of our desires, my desire this evening, is more than anything that we come to love Christ more. I said in the film that, that if all we focus in on is on Francis, then we've probably failed unless we allow Francis to lead us to Jesus. One of the terms that they have for Francis is Francis was the mirror of Christ. That he became so transformed and so changed and so converted that he began to look like him. Amen? One of the things that I love about Francis was that Francis had to figure things out. He didn't know and he didn't always have a clear understanding or a clear vision about what the Lord wanted him to do. I remember I was a, a junior in college, and I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. And I remember I was sitting in a small little chapel, and I kept on saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And if we look at the beginning of life of Francis, that that's the fundamental question when he begins his conversion is, what do you want me to do, right? And I heard the Lord say to me, give up that which you want to know for the one who wants to tell you. Give up that what you want to know for the one who wants to tell you. Because what I realized is I was making God in this kind of this little magic ball that if I asked the right question, he would be able to give me the answer. And I was trying to go after some kind of answer rather than a person. What Francis discovers, it wasn't until he encounters the person that he is able to understand who he is. Amen? So what I'd like to take a look at is five really simple things. And, and when Francis has his conversion, uh, he hears the Lord invite him to live a life of penance. And when Francis goes to Pope Anarius, and Pope Anarius gives him the rule of life, the Pope says, go out and preach penance. So for Francis, has a very different understanding of penance than we necessarily have an understanding. So when you hear the word penance, what goes through your mind, other than watching the wild goose, right? So what goes, when you hear that word penance, reparation? Sacrifice? Seven Hail Marys? You have not gone to confession to me, right? Right? Conversion? Good. And that's actually, Francis understand penance much more by the word of conversion. For Francis, the, the life of penance wasn't a singular event. We often think of penance as we do something, right? We go and we do our penance and we're done with it. But Francis would say that penance is actually a life. It's a way of living. So when the Lord calls him, he says, Francis, I want you to live a life of penance. He writes his rule and he says, the rule at the very beginning is, we who are the brothers of penance. Francis actually understood penance as a life-giving, is joy, of, of hope, of mercy, all of that lives within the context of penance. Five elements that we're going to take a look at about living penance. And it helps us kind of understand who Francis is. 
So the first element, again, the, this living of penance, it actually, it's a little bit more similar to think of the word conversion, uh, is a process that an individual enters into that is never complete, that we are always living penance. The first one for Francis is to come to understand um, that we are to love God. Now for Francis, what this meant is that he was going to have to ultimately change the direction of his life. Francis, uh, as was mentioned, was raised in a wealthy family, but what Francis wanted was honor, prestige, glory. So the way he was going to do that is going to be a knight. So Francis dresses up the outfit, and it, he plays the role of a knight, right? He looks like a knight. He's got all the armor, all the equipment. But I don't think Francis had the heart of a knight. He just wanted all the trappings that went with it. So Francis goes off to war, and he gets uh, captured, and he spends a year in prison. And this, this coming back from war was, was very difficult for Francis. In one sense, he comes back kind of as a hero. It's like, hey, you POW, it's good to have you back. But Francis begins to ask questions about What's this all about? Well, one particular evening, he's asleep, and he has this dream. And in this room, he sees a room which is full of armor and all the vestiges of armor. There's swords and, and shields and all these things. And he hears the Lord say, or hears a voice say to him, he doesn't understand it's the Lord yet, uh, who's it better to serve, the master or the servant? And Francis says, well, obviously the master. And he says, then why are you serving the servant? So the beginning of Francis's conversion begins with that fundamental question, and that is, who do we serve, right? Who do we serve? For Francis, it was himself. For the middle of Francis's life was him. And everything he was doing was about himself, his, glo his glory, his honor, his prestige, his power, his influence. So Francis is in the beginning, in the middle of his life. So he hears the basic fundamental question about who it is that we're supposed to serve. And it begins this process of Francis asking the question, who am I supposed to serve? What does this mean? He goes back to Assisi. He wanted to be a knight. He wanted to be popular and famous. And he goes back to Assisi actually really confused, trying to figure this out. Like, what am I called to do? He has this sense. It's the beginning, right? This beginning process of conversion and coming to understand who God is. When Francis begins, and I think one of the greatest things that Francis gives us in, in this idea, in this, this invitation to love God, is an image of God uh, that is humble. For Francis, the greatest feast is Christmas. Uh, it's not Easter. When Francis begins to discover who God is, he's amazed at the humility of God. And he couldn't imagine that God would actually become one of us. So in Greccio, which is about 20 minutes from Assisi, uh, Francis was figuring that if you could see what God has done for, uh, for us, you would be converted. So we have the first nativity scene, the little nativity scenes that we have all over. Francis is starting that because his mind was, if you could just see, if anybody could see what God did, you would be amazed and you would be converted. So they do this little nativity scene, and this person has this image of the baby Jesus, and the baby Jesus is asleep. And everybody's trying to wake him up and, wake, you know, cooing and kind of... I've always been told, let a baby sleep, sleep, all right? But they thought they should wake him up. Nobody could wake him up. And Francis comes, uh, and he holds the baby Jesus, and the baby awakens. This becomes, for us, an image for Francis, is, is he is going to awaken in the hearts of the people Jesus. But he couldn't imagine God, who would become so humble, as to take on flesh. So for Francis, it's Christmas. Now, it's interesting, in the early crash, in the early nativity scenes, they would have the crash scene underneath the altar, but they would not put the baby Jesus in there. 
Because he was amazed that God would humble himself and take the form of a baby, but he was also amazed that God would humble himself in the Eucharist. So that they would not have the baby Jesus in the altar because, underneath the altar, because at every liturgy, God would come flesh once again in the, in the presence of the Eucharist. So for Francis, understanding and loving God is the fact that God would humble himself, first by taking flesh, but then ultimately by dying for us. Couldn't imagine a Christ who would die. This idea that God would come and he would take on flesh and he would humble himself again and humble himself and die, and then finally he comes to us once again in the Eucharist. So the humility of God was an image that, that was not very popular at the time, and I don't know if it's something that we still reflect about. For the Franciscan, at the heart of the spiritual life is ultimately getting back to that humility, right? So in the Philippians text, it says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something new to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself. He took the form of a slave being born in the likeness of man. For Francis, that's at the heart of the spiritual life. That's at the heart of loving God, is that we allow ourselves to be humbled, we allow ourselves to be emptied. The Greek word is kenosis. I only know about four Greek words, so I'll pr try to use them all tonight, right? Kenosis, this, this self-emptying. For Francis, the Christian is to do that very thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. To allow ourselves to be emptied so that the only thing that remains is the Lord. Amen? So the fundamental question that Francis has to ask is, who is God? And he wrestles with that, and we see that, that Francis, this idea of, of this conversion that happened immediately in his life was totally changed in a moment, simply wasn't the case. And I can relate to that, right? Is that I've had many encounters with the Lord in my life that have brought about conversion, that have brought about change. There were some that were more powerful than others, and Francis would say the same thing. But this process of coming to understand, to love God, and to be able to be loved by God. From this... Francis comes to be able to begin to identify himself as a Christian. He identifies himself as somebody different. And this goes to the heart of what does it mean for us to love God. For Francis, he begins to be seen as a disciple. And one of the reasons we did the film is that I think particularly now, in all that's going on in the church, what we need is disciples. We need men and women who will live the life and faithful life of Christ. And then begin to identify ourselves as such. So Francis begins to live his life. Again, it's not all figured out. He doesn't totally know what's going on. But he begins to identify himself as living for the Lord. And identifying himself as different. We have to ask ourselves, how do we identify ourselves? What, I, what do we identify ourselves with? I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to, uh, to do some work in Taiwan. Which is about 1% Christian. And I was doing this, uh, giving some talks at this university, and everybody was coming up, and they were introducing themselves, the dean of the students, the whatever it was. Well, this lady comes up to me, and she says, hi, I don't remember her name. Hi, I'm Jennifer. I'm a Christian. Right? The most important thing for her when coming and introducing herself to me was that she wanted to be identified as a Christian. We have to ask ourselves the same question. Part of the conversion, one of the significant points in Francis's life was when he begins to identify himself, not by power, wealth, influence, prestige. Rather, he identifies himself in relationship with God. And for Francis, that means loving God with this total abandonment. So what is it that we identify ourselves with? Amen? Francis begins to continually have um, moments of grace. He still doesn't lose the desire to become a knight, right? So he goes out again, and he, again, he's dressed up in the part. He looks great, and he sees another knight whose armor wasn't as good as his. And, and Francis felt guilty because he had the best that money could buy. But he didn't feel like he had the heart for that, so he gives his armor away. 
this did not make his father happy at all. So Francis comes back the first time, and at least he was a POW and he was captured in war. He comes back the second time. If you've been to Assisi, there's an image of uh, Francis uh, outside the basilica there when he's on a horse and his head is bowed down. He comes back in humiliation. People begin to make fun of Francis. Uh, and they, you know, they, this great person who wanted to do all these great things, Francis is beginning to try to figure out, okay, what does life look like now? What does it mean for him to love God? What does it mean for him to have a relationship with the Lord? What does it mean for him, <clears throat> excuse me, to be faithful and to follow with the Lord? Well, one of the things that we see is that Francis is ultimately going to have, a de- have to have a detachment. So part of loving God for Francis is beginning to become de- detached from the things of the world. Francis takes some cloth one day, and he sells it. His father was in textiles, and he sells it, and he gives the money to the poor. His dad, as you can imagine, was not that thrilled with that, right? So his dad ultimately, long story short, um, takes him to trial, and the bishop takes him in front of the bishop's house. And we're always told that, that Francis is a good person to read and to study, but not necessarily to imitate. So Francis strips down naked in the middle of Assisi in the, na- in the square. We were encouraged not to do that as novices, but Francis did it. And, and he has this, this uh, confrontation with his father. And his father and him ultimately have a break in relationship. And Francis goes to the bishop, and the bishop takes his, his cloak and he wraps it around Francis. And now the church is actually going to protect Francis. If you've ever been to the Port Siancola, which is the small church where Francis died, and it's a little teeny church inside of a massive big church, this becomes the image for Francis, is the church is now going to protect Francis. Francis walks out of the, out of the village that day, and, and he says that, that this was a moment of detachment of him that caused him, <clears throat> excuse me, caused him to attach himself to the Heavenly Father. He says, you are, you are no longer my father, but I will have one Heavenly Father. So I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what is it that we attach ourselves to that we make more important than our relationship with the Lord? What is it that, we, that helps define ourselves? For, yeah, yeah, our phones, right? The other thing that I somewhat appreciate about this is being a saint and being a holy doesn't mean that everything was perfect. We have no evidence that Francis ever reconciled with his dad. So this was, a, you know, this was part of the difficulty and the part of the struggle that Francis had. So this idea that I can't be a saint, I can't be holy because my family is so dysfunctional or so messed up, it simply isn't the case. Is that when the Lord begins to work in our life, when the Lord begins to work in Francis's life, we see his life begin to change. Amen? So this idea of loving God becomes the first act of penance. We wrestle and we reconcile who is God for us, who are we in relationship with him. The second thing for living penance for Francis is uh, love of neighbor. Is the, the, the mandate that we're supposed to love our neighbor. But who was the love of neighbor that Francis had to wrestle with? Francis wanted to be wealthy, popular, power, influence, intimidation. The exact opposite of that was the leper. Francis was revolted by the leper. Francis lived, if you've seen Assisi, he lived on the upper part of Assisi. The lepers lived down in the valley. Uh, Francis would say that if he was walking along the road and a leper was coming towards him, he was revolted by them, and he would go the other direction. So there's a story of Francis who goes to the carchery up to the hermitages, and he's praying, and and he's wrestling with um, what he considered um, the refuge, right, the refuge of the world. 
And the Lord said something to him, and I think this is something that, that if we were to pray about and think about, it's, it's at the heart of Francis's peace. If you've been to Assisi, everyone says it's so peaceful, right? How is it that Francis exhibited such peace? He's up in the cave, and he hears the Lord say to him, Francis, I can make that which is bitter sweet. I can make that which is bitter sweet. And Francis knew that it was the leper. He knew that it was the leper because the leper was bitter for him. Francis goes, he leaves the cave, he's walking down the road, and he sees and he's confronted a leper. And rather than going the other way, Francis goes and he embraces this leper. And the Lord made that which was bitter sweet. He realizes that in embracing the leper, he embraces Christ. Just for a second, imagine what it would look like if whatever is bitter in your life became sweet. I mean, I think that's one of the most beautiful promises that the Lord made to Francis. I can make that which is bitter sweet. What is that? Like, I remember praying about this in, in my own life. And that whole thing, and I'm not sure why Jesus said it, but the whole love your neighbor thing. Right. So one of the days I was praying about, well, who is my neighbor, right? That fundamental question. Or who is my enemy, right? Well, who I was thinking at the time was uh, Cecile Richards. You know who she is? She's the head of Planned Parenthood, all right? So I was thinking about who is my neighbor, and, and I was uh, in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I thought about her. Just one morning I was praying, and I thought about her. I mean, she's my neighbor, she's my enemy, she's my leper, right? So I decided to do something. I kind of stalked her, and I found out that she's married legally, pretty much. She's married, and she had a couple of girls, and, and I began to actually pray for her. Not just like, oh, I pray for her, but I prayed for her. And I would send her Christmas cards, and I would send her Easter cards. And, and I would just say, just let you know, my name is Father Dave Pavanka. I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for your daughters. And, I'm just, and she never responded or anything like that. But something weird happened in this time of, of reaching out to her and finding out. I mean, she became a person to me. She wasn't just the head of Planned Parenthood. She was a person. She was not terribly different than my sister in that, my sister has some kids, and she has kids, and my sister wants her kids to be healthy, to be happy, and that's what she desires for her daughters. In this, in this praying for her, um, she became personal, right? And as soon as somebody becomes personal for us, it's harder for us to hate them, right? Francis, that which was bitter became sweet. Another experience that I had... <clears throat> was I took a group of pilgrims uh, to Guadalupe one year. And there was this one gentleman who was just a really, really sweet man, very vivacious, charismatic, just always laughing and smiling, also very successful, very wealthy. And one, we had visited uh, Guadalupe for the first time, and we got back in the bus, and he generally sat in the front of the bus and was laughing and always the life of the party, right? But this particular day, he was sitting in the back. And I noticed that he had his head on the seat in front of him, and it was unusual for him to be quiet. So I just kind of went back and saw what was going on. Uh, and I realized that the gentleman was crying. And I just kind of sat with him for a second and caught his breath. And I asked him, I said, like, what's going on? And he looked up and he said, you know, my whole life I've been prejudiced of Mexicans. He said, I've taken advantage of them at work. I've, I've cheated them. Um, I didn't give them the respect, the due, their money. Any, and he said, my whole life. And he said, when I was in Guadalupe, when I was just in the Basilica, and I was watching the Mexican people pray, 
and I watch their devotion, and I watch the way they, they love the Lord, and I watch their reverence, that something just penetrated my heart, right? I can make that which is bittersweet. Francis embraces this leper, and, and he realizes that, that in the leper is Christ. In the leper, when we're able to embrace it, that what we discover is that God is present there. Just for a second, I mean, who is that leper for? Everybody's got him, right? Everybody's got him. It's the conservative, it's the liberal, it's this group, it's that group, it's whatever it is. But, but what Francis realized was if he was going to be a disciple of Jesus, that it would be imperative that he was going to have to embrace that person. Now, the reality is that sometimes that person is ourself, right? It's that self. It's that part of us that, that just we can't stand. It's that part of us that drives us crazy. But what the Lord invites us to do is to be able to embrace that. St. Francis says, it's probably my favorite quote, is just wrestling with, with um, the Lord and wrestling with loving his neighbor and, and recognizing that, that his neighbor has beauty and his neighbor has worth and his neighbor has value. Francis would say, what we are before God is what we are and nothing else. What we are before God is what we are and nothing else. When we get past all of the things that make us different, we get past wealth, we get past influence, we get past degrees, we get past whatever it is, what we, in each one of us, that we are fundamentally the same. And that we have a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, regardless of our story, regardless of what our histories is. So Francis realizes that if he's going to be a disciple of Jesus, that it's imperative that he loves his neighbor. Ultimately, John says, by this we will know that we are disciples if we love one another. So just for a second, in your own mind, in your own heart, uh, who's the leper in your life? And what does it look like for us to embrace that person? Not just, not just this cursory prayer, but what does it look like for us to embrace that person or that group of people? Amen? Third, for living a life of penance, uh, Francis said we need to pray for a hatred of sin is that sin is simply incompatible for the life of for Francis. Again, Francis, when he would, uh, wanted to get away from the busy town of Assisi, he would go up to the caves. And one particular time, he was up in the caves, and he had this profound experience. He doesn't talk a lot about what it was, but he talks about this experience of, of being able to see his sin. And that he would look to this as, as a major significant uh, turning point in his life, that he comes to understand his brokenness. For Francis, sin is pretty easy pretty simple. It was basically ignoring God. One of our friars one time, he went to a doctor's appointment, and he came back from the doctor's appointment, and he was sharing with us his experience. He walked up to the receptionist's desk, and the receptionist looked at him, but didn't say a word to him, didn't say welcome, didn't say, do you have an appointment? Can I help you? Or nothing. Simply ignored him. For Francis, that is what sin is, is that God is present before us, ever present before us, and we ignore him. We say, I don't have time for you, I don't want to be a part of you. I don't want to recognize you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to ask you anything. It's simply moving God to the side. So Francis has this experience in the cave where he understands deeply the nature of his sin. And in that moment, he realized that God's love was deeper still. And this was a turning point for Francis, is that he comes to understand in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his depravity, God could love that. And if that was true, if God could love that part of him which was profoundly unlovable for him, then God could love anything. So Francis walks out of these caves profoundly changed. 
because he discovers a God that ultimately is going to satisfy his hopes, his dreams, his longings, his pe- whatever it is that he desired that Francis would find this that ultimately be able to satisfy it in him. What we have to ask ourselves, and if you were to define it in your own words, what is sin for us? Right? It's something that we don't talk a lot about in our world today because we live in a world that we've become so, I don't know, so, so desensitized between saying some things are right and some things are wrong. And Francis would go out and he'd say that, that clearly there are natures of sin. Francis would say to pray for the individual who, who, who chooses to die in mortal sin, for the evil one will avenge him, right? So what is the nature of sin for us? We live in a world that says largely sin is not terribly different than getting pulled over by a cop, right? We, I've been pulled over more than once, right? Anybody get a speeding ticket here? Come on. All right, good. Twice. How about two in one day? Good. Those of you who are judging me, there are confessions later, right? But largely, seriously, but what I think is, is that we have made sin largely the breaking of a law, the breaking of a commandment, right? We break the law, we pay our penance, and we move on, all right? There's nothing personal about it. We just broke the law. We just broke a commandment. Francis understand the deeply personal nature of sin. It is not merely the breaking of a law. It is not merely the breaking of a commandment. Rather, it's the breaking of a heart. We have a God who passionately loves us. And our sin severs that relationship, right? Right? It's always, always personal. So Francis had to struggle and wrestle with this, 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 this nature of his sin. We have to ask ourselves, do we have a hatred for sin? Do we have a hatred, a holy hatred for sin, Right? My fear and my concern is that oftentimes we say and we begin to compare ourselves to other people, I'm not as bad as, right? right? My suggestion is, is that we not compare ourselves to others, rather we compare ourselves to Christ. And this is what Francis would do, is that he would see the beauty and the, and the goodness and the purity in Christ and he would see himself in relationship with that. But he would never be discouraged because as I mentioned before, and it was a significant moment in the life of Francis, in the cave, understanding his sin, knowing that the Lord would love him even deeper still. So, sin, and Francis understood this, that sin ultimately doesn't keep us out of heaven. Amen? Right? We know that, right? That heaven is full of sinners, with the exception of two. Everybody else is a sinner. So what keeps us out of heaven is our inability to repent of sin. So Francis would pray and continually pray for a spirit of repentance. Now, we largely equate penance merely with, penance, with uh, repentance. But Francis, again, pen, uh, repentance is a way of life. Francis would actually do four Lents a year. I think one is plenty, uh, but he would do four Lents a year trying to pray for a spirit of repentance because he understood the nature of how sin ultimately offends God. So we pray for that same spirit. So do me a favor, just a moment, just quiet yourself. Take a breath. Lord, that we can recognize our sinfulness, but deeper still, recognize that you love us and that you see us and that you know us. Give us a love of you that is so profound that it causes us to hate our sin and pray for the grace to be able to root it out. Amen? Number four, frequent reception of the sacraments. So again, this is for Francis, living penance, loving God, loving our neighbor, hatred of sin, and frequent reception of the sacraments, particularly Eucharist and confession. For Francis, uh, that Christ would humble himself again and come to us in what, what it looks to and appears to be bread 
was transformative for Francis. I'm not going to go more into that because we've got to do a little bit more on the fifth one. Okay, so Eucharist, spending time with Jesus, adoration, sacrament of reconciliation, all a blessing. Amen? Number five, what Francis would say with that we produce, living this life would produce worthy uh, fruits of penance. Worthy fruits of penance. So that an individual can be, we, they can look at our life and our life looks different, right? Our life looks different. And Francis said our life would look different because our life would produce fruits of penance. What are some of those? Obedience. Francis stated to be, obe um, to be converted is to be obedient to the gospel. And he would go on to say that it, particularly in those things that are, it is difficult for us to be obedient to, right? So we see this all around, that, that there are things for, with Francis um, being obedient to the church. The church was in, in crisis at the time. One of the things that Francis did not become a priest uh, because he didn't feel worthy to be a priest, which makes me wonder how I got in, but that's another story for us, right? But the, the priesthood was going through a time of scandal at the time. But Francis um, would say that, um, that ultimately they, they weren't being obedient to the life that the Lord had called them to. And I, think, I would say the same thing in the, in the scandal that's going on with priests today is, again, is that the priests haven't been obedient. So blessed is the one, uh, Francis would, would speak of uh, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, blessed is the one who has heard the word of God and keeps it. So Francis doesn't believe that we can live a life of penance, that we can live a life of grace without obedience. And yet we live in a world that sees obedience as this weight that's thrust upon us. Francis would say exactly the opposite. What obedience is, is it frees us. That when we live a life of gospel, when we live faithful to the gospel, ultimately it brings freedom. For where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. So Francis saw that being obedient to the gospel and then ultimately being obedient to the church brings freedom. Amen? Another thing, another fruit of penance is a life of self-denial. Matthew 16, 24 says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. And Francis took this very seriously. He says, if uh, Anthony of the Desert, St. Anthony of the Desert says, if you want to grow in the spiritual life, learn to control your tongue and your stomach. Francis saw a deep relationship in our ability to deny ourselves and follow the Lord. When we take a look at the conditions of following Christ, the first one is, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. And yet we live in a world that says the more you can get, the better, right? And, and the newest phone, the newest clothes, whatever it is, right? The more, the better. Francis would be and stand as a sign of contradiction to that. It seems to me that we have to ask that question. If the first sign, if the first thing that Jesus asks of us, if we're going to follow him, is to deny ourselves, do we live that? I mean, what does it look like for us to live a life of self-denial? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to do what Francis is. In fact, the vast majority of us are not supposed to do what Francis did. But we need to live a life of self-denial. And what does that look like for us? It seems to me that we have to ask that question and take that question seriously. If we're going to follow Jesus, yes, I want to follow you. Okay, deny yourself. What's that look like? Service to others. Yep, simple things. Food. Food sometimes? Shush up. Yeah, I mean, there's, if we think about it, all the ways that we can deny ourselves. I mean, sometimes when I'm just getting crazy, I'll go to the grocery store and I'll get in the long line. I mean, who does that? Seriously? Who does that, right? Shorter showers, colder showers, less sleep, um, less spending, less shopping. Yeah, this is a pet peeve of mine. If we are going to take being a disciple seriously, 
we have to wrestle with this idea of denying ourselves. That it has to be a part of the gospel. Now, again, I'm not saying that we need to do it like Francis did. But there has to be some sense in our life where we say no. Because what Francis would discover is to be able to say no to the cravings of the flesh allowed two things. One, to be able to say yes to the Spirit of God. And two, that the flesh wasn't going to drive him. That he was not going to be a slave to the flesh. So merely because the flesh says, I want something, doesn't in fact mean that we actually need it. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to be able to deny ourselves? Now, we often think, the more you read about Francis, we understand that, that he probably went too far in his self-denial. But one of the things that Francis did do is when it was time to celebrate, Francis would celebrate. There's a famous line of, he said, if the meat, if the walls could eat, we would take meat and just rub it on the walls, right? That's one of the things that I love about the liturgical cycle of the church, is that there are times to feast and there are times to fast. I've just done a little series on, on fasting and self-denial. And my fear is that when this comes out, I'm never going to be able to have ice cream again, right? It's because like, it's like, oh, so much for that fasting, right? The church invites us, right? That, that, that we feast. When it's time to feast, we feast. And yet, when it's time to fast, we need to be able to fast. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to deny ourselves? The other is, uh, Francis says that a fruit of penance is our ability to pick up our cross. Francis goes to Laverna, and this is near the end of his life. Uh, And it was near the feast of St. Michael. And he prayed, he was praying in front of a cross, and he said, Lord, show me the depths of your love. And that it's at that point that Francis receives the stigmata. So Francis was next. Paul, that we know of, was the first uh, saint to receive the stigmata. He receives the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet. Most of the friars didn't know that he had a stigmata until his death when he he was stripped naked. Francis stripped naked a lot Um, at his death, right? And they see his wounds, right? But but again, we, we make this connection. Francis is praying, Lord, show me the depths of your love and what he experiences is the stigmata. Francis begins to discover, and I think that we begin to discover, that we can find Christ in the midst of our suffering. That, that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, we find Christ. We find the Lord. And this is, I think, the experience that the Lord wants us to be able to, to encounter is that so oftentimes we fear the cross and we run away from the cross. Uh, Francis would begin to embrace the cross. He would be walking down the road and there would be two sticks that were the sign of a cross and Francis would stop and venerate, right? That he saw ultimately is the sign of the cross, is a sign and a revelation of God's love. What we have to ask ourselves is, is that our story? Like, there's a, I'm able to see a beautiful cross. I don't know if there's one behind me. Um, but when we look at the cross, do we really see the revelation of God's love? Because I want to suggest that if we can begin to find Christ in the cross, we can find him anywhere. You know, I just baptized uh, my great nephew. He's my nephew's nephew, my nephew's son, Right? I love, I haven't done a lot of baptisms. My ministry doesn't have me doing many. I've done maybe 20, and they're all my nieces and nephews. But I just love, I love the baptismal font out there, Father. That's like, you could do laps out of that one, right? Right, but I love, you just take the oil, and you just pour it on, and it was like a little greased pig, man. I just greased that little baby up. My, my sister-in-law, she dropped the baby because it's all greasy, right? This is fantastic, okay? But it was just this moment of grace in this baptism that you just see. It's just saturated with grace, or, or the, some of the weddings in the Eucharist. It's, I want to suggest it's easy to find God there. But do we find him in divorce, in dementia, 
and infertility, inability to conceive, broken relationships. I think one of the things that Francis reveals to us when, when he embraces the cross, when he asks to reveal the love of God and he experiences the stigmata, is that the invitation exists for us to be able to find God's love present in that. And I suggest that this is one of the, and Francis would say, it's the transformative experience of Francis's life. He would die about, about a little less than two years after this. Th that he had become so fully transformed into the person of Jesus that he literally had his wounds the challenge for us is to be able to pray for that same grace that grace that is able to see the lord in the midst of our suffering in the midst of our pain in the midst of whatever it is when we can find him there we can find him anywhere amen um francis an, another sign of, of penance of living penance for Francis, of a work of penance was would become community for francis is that he saw in his relationships with his brothers uh, a transforming grace in that. I live, presently I live with three friars. Uh, sometimes I've lived with as many as 17 or 18 friars. And I love my brothers. Most of the time. Right? And sometimes they just drive me crazy. Sometimes they're my leper, right? And Francis understood that. And he saw in his relationship with his brothers uh, a way to be purified. Uh, we are not to live this gospel life by ourselves. And Francis would see a fruit of penance would be uh, our living in relationship with other brothers and sisters. I love the text in, in the scriptures when James and John go up to Jesus and they say to Jesus, um, when you go to your kingdom, could one be at your right and one at your left? And Jesus says, you know, it's not mine to give, but the Father. But then he asks them, can you drink of the cup? And they respond, no, they don't. They respond, we can they don't say yes. They say, can you drink of the cup? And they say, we can. And what I love about that is they don't say, I can't, right? They say, we can. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to walk the Camino de Santiago. So I walked 500 miles uh, to the burial place of St. James to be able to say, thank you for letting me be a priest because I love being a priest. And I did it with one of my brother friars. And it was one of the greatest graces and blessings of my life to be able to walk that journey with him, right? This becomes the story for our journey together. We've been together for 30 years now, right? Some days you're going up a hill and it just sucks and your body hurts and the backpack is killing you and you don't feel like you can walk anymore and Joe says, come on, Dave, we can, we can keep on doing this. Let's just keep on walking. Let's just keep on walking. One of the most beautiful images for me of the Camino was I met this elderly couple. They were 70 years old and they were walking the Camino. So if you're under 70, you can walk the Camino. Amen. Interesting, too, there were, it was the second time they were walking it. So people asked me, Father, are you going to walk it again? No. No, it was great once. It was great once. But the most remarkable thing about this couple is, is the gentleman was blind. So he would walk behind his wife with his hand on her shoulder, uh, and they would walk together for 500 miles. It was beautiful, right? Beautiful. But this becomes the image for me uh, of community, right? is that there are times that I don't know if I can go any further. There's times that i do not absolutely positive where I'm going, but I've got a brother that I know that, that, that he knows where he's going, and he'll walk with me. And there are some days that I feel pretty good, right? I feel pretty good. I think I got an idea where I'm going. And I ask a brother, I said, you got my shoulder. You know, if you want to put your hand on my shoulder, you can do that. Uh, Francis would see it inconsistent to be able to live the life of the Christian life outside of community. What that looks like is going to be different for everybody else, right? For some, it's family. For my mom and dad, it's their relationship with one another. But community fellowship for Francis is a sign of penance. Amen?
So finally, near Francis's death, one of the younger brothers, because Francis was not a great speaker. If you read his writings, he writes unbelievably simple. There was nothing like just, and one of the persons comes up, one of the brother Mateus comes up to Francis and he says, Francis, like, why do people follow you? Like, why do they keep on coming, right? And I still wrestle with that question, that if you go to Assisi, it's millions of people every year. So what was it about him that the world continues to find attractive, continues to see in him something? And I think there's a couple of things that, that ultimately Francis understands, and this becomes a sign of contradiction. All of these things that I've talked about, to be great, to be holy, to be wonderful, all of these kind of things ultimately is not about acquiring, it's not about building up, it's not about being the best, the smartest, the fastest, the richest, or any of that. It's actually about being little. And like I remember as, as I was thinking about becoming a friar, it's like, maybe I could do that. Like, I'm, I'm not a Jesuit, right? My, my sister jokes, she goes, Dave, I don't know if I'm more amazed that you wrote a book because you never read a book. It's like, that's not totally true, right? But for Francis, it's about being small. And I said, I think, I think maybe I could do that, right? For Francis, it means about letting go. It's not about acquiring. For Francis, it's about trying to figure out what the Lord wants to do and struggling with that. Francis, rebuild my church, which is falling down around you. Okay, so he starts building a church. Not exactly what the Lord meant. So it takes him some time to figure it out. But he keeps on wrestling with it. For Francis, it's, it's falling and it's getting back up. It's failing and it's trying again. I think that's what fine. I think that's one of the things that, that, that we find attractive about Francis. As Francis is dying, he, he's asked to be taken to the Porciuncola. And he says to the brothers, and I think he says to us, uh, and he said to them, oh, I have done what is mine to do, right? I have done what is mine to do. Now may Christ show you what is yours. And then that's where he leaves the brothers with, and that's what we, as friars, we continue to wrestle with, right? That's my, my deepest desire is that I can do that, that, that I can do what is mine to do. My, my prayer is that when I go before the Lord that I, that I can say that I never said no to him, right? That whatever he asked me to do, that I said yes to him. That's mine to do. Now, for you, it's to try to be able to, and it's okay if we don't know it right away, because Francis, it took me a long time to figure it out. But what is it that it is yours to do? Amen? All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, just in your own mind and your heart, ask the Spirit of God to open your heart and your mind. And what did you hear tonight? What are you going to be able to take from here, kind of wrestle with, kind of work through, kind of pray through? Not merely a way to spend an hour, but really an opportunity to encounter the Lord. St. Francis, you were animated by the spirit of Jesus. And that transformed you, and it converted you, and it healed you, it restored you, it freed you. We pray for that same spirit present on us. Help us to love you more. Help us to love our neighbor, to embrace the leper in our life. Help us to root out sin and be filled with your grace. Allow us to find you in the Eucharist and the sacraments that our life would look different.
the people would look at us and they say there's something different about them. And that we would give witness to you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. Thanks. And again, I'll stick around for however long and ask questions. And thank you, Father Dave, for coming. Um, just a beautiful gift. I think you said the, the life of St. Francis so many times. People know these little caricatures. And, and to expound very beautifully and very profoundly just the, the life of Christ lived in Francis. So I would encourage you. It's going to uh, pretty soon going to be on our SoundCloud. The podcast will be up to share that with all of your friends and to encourage other people to, to check it out. Next Saturday, not this Saturday, but the next, just because it's connected to St. Francis, is something that came out of our students, that their inspiration. It's called the Francis Project that, that we do a few times a semester and basically get into groups of two, sometimes three, and to go into certain parts of the city where the homeless congregate just to, to encounter them and uh, to be with them, to know them, to love them, to to befriend them in some way. And so in that spirit of, of Francis embracing the leper, um, this idea of making the homeless person a person uh, that I know their name and, and I can pray with them and for them and some j joke around with them. So it's a beautiful thing that uh, if you'd love to be a part of that will be happening not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. So um, cool stuff. Check our website, all the other fun things that are going on. Appreciate you coming tonight, and you're free to go. And Father Dave said he's going to stick around for a little bit. So, Thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if I'm reading, it's weird having a Pope Francis, that, that the attribute of mercy is the Lord's love for us. But then he also speaks about the Lord's mercy being his attribute to justice. So, I mean, I, from my perspective, it would be the same. It would be the, 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 the way the Lord reveals his love to us is ultimately through mercy. But that's what Francis encountered in the cave, was that ultimately the Lord was merciful to him. So he's up there. He recognizes his sin. He recognized that the Lord loves him in that for Francis. That would be mercy. Yeah. Good, yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. Sure. Um, yeah, Francis would, again, see Mary as, you would speak of her as the, uh, well, Bonaventure would ultimately as a Franciscan, as the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and that Mary gives us the model for living the life of faith. Um, the Virgin May Church would be Mary, his example of Mary. So, yeah, but specifically for the nativity scene, it would be more for the incarnation. So, Franciscan spirituality would be fundamentally incarnational, that God uses stuff, uses things to be able to re reveal the Lord to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the question was about Francis going to the Holy. We actually chose not to deal with this in the film, just because it's such a, it's such a big theme that we, you just couldn't begin to kind of tap on it. Yeah. So Francis wants to ultimately he wants to evangelize uh, the the Sultan, so he goes to the Holy Land. But there are really two motivations for Francis. When you look at it, he wanted to evangelize. He also wanted to be martyred. The, that he saw. The, the greatest sign to, to being a disciple of Jesus is ultimately giving your life and radically giving your life to the Lord and being martyred. So that was his hope. So Francis walks away from that, disappointed. Now, I, there, there's all kinds of stuff that's written. I wasn't a huge fan of the Satan Sultan that just came out. Um, but Francis, in one sense, the Sultan would just thought this guy was really strange. I mean, why would you come here and why would you do that? That's why Francis is allowed to leave. The Francis and the brothers are allowed to leave. They're escorted. They're not martyred. 
Um, but that's also when you look back at historically now that if you've been to the Holy Lands, we find that all of the holy places are friars. And I've been to some Middle East countries in the Middle East, wherever there's Muslim countries, they allow friars to be there. So there's actually been a relationship, and it could be something that I think could be mined more in relationships between Christians and in the Muslim community that the friars could actually, pay, in my opinion, pay a bigger role in. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah, cool. Other thoughts, comments, questions? Mm-hmm. Well, we, um, we didn't, fi- I just finished another project in the Holy Land, but that's not the film on Francis. The film on Francis was all done in Assisi, and then we went down to Brazil. I've got some friends, so we spent some time in a leper colony down in Brazil. So, um, was, there, was there any kind of doing the filming of the Francis in Assisi? Well, a couple of things. One, we went in December because I wanted to have different weather, and it was not snowing, so we literally prayed that it would snow, and we woke up the next morning, and there was snow on the ground. So, coincidence, ah, I think God answered the prayer. It was kind of cool. We actually had an earthquake during filming, which was kind of, kind of an interesting experience. Yeah, that was yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, just all kinds of things. People, people it, it's interesting when you see cameras and that kind of stuff, people are always intrigued, and then it provided opportunity relationships to be able to talk to people and pray with people. So, it was just it was a pretty cool experience, just the process of making it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually a really profound experience for me. There's kind of some a background story. Um, so I had been to the leper colony before. We have friars in, in Manaus, Brazil, and I was invited to go down there and do some work. And, and I'll try to make this brief. If people need to leave, they need to leave. Okay, so. But I, a friend of mine was going through medical school at the time, and I knew that I was going to go down and work in the leper colony. And my father's a physician, so I asked my dad, like, Dad, what's the chances of getting leprosy? And he goes, it's really hard to get leprosy. That's what he said. What I heard was, you're probably going to get leprosy, right? <laughs> so, so, but this friend of mine who was in medical school, she said to me, um, are you going to get close? And it's funny, because I knew that I was going down to a leper colony, but I really never thought about, well, what is this going to look like? And it would be great if I was like, oh, I was just going to run down there, and I'm just going to be around the leper. And I began to think, like, what, what is this going to look like, right? How close am I going to get? And, and because of all that goes on with leprosy, and, and again, I think that's such an, a rich image for us to pray about because that leper, we all have that leper, but actually having that leper, right? Well, so we go down to Manaus and we go to the leper colony and I'm going down the road and there's a gentleman off to the side that clearly had leprosy. And I thought to myself, that's pretty close. I've never been that close with anybody with leprosy before, right? So we end up going and visiting this guy. And he lives by himself. One of the things that the country of Brazil has done is they've um, built little apartments for the people who have leprosy. On one level, they thought that would be good, a sense of independence. What it's done is it's isolated them so that they used to all live in one big room, but now they've been separated and isolated. He had a wheelchair with an electric battery, but he didn't have any batteries. So he had not been out of his home, which was about the fourth of the size of the, maybe just that little corner. Uh, so we go and we visit him, and, and I'm nervous. I, I would love to be able to say there was nothing anxiety, but I was a little bit nervous about what is this going to look like and how close am I going to get. I couldn't get that gal's words out of my mind, are you going to get close? So when we walk into, the, into this particular place, and the gentleman's name was Armando, and there was other two other Franciscans, and he knew them both. So like he raises his arm, and he hugs one of them, and I'm thinking, how's this going to work? And he looks at the other guy, and he hugs him, and he looks at me, and he doesn't have any arms or any hands. They're just stubs. One of his legs been amputated, and he's got, and it's like, I guess I'm going to get close, right? So I embrace this guy, and, and yeah, it was just a graced moment, right, in, in being able to embrace that which is bitter, and, and 
when I now think back and pray about it, it's, it's all of this stuff. It's all the person that just bugs the crap out of me that I want to do everything to ignore and, and diminish. And yeah, and it was just this moment of grace. Now, personally, to finish that, so a couple of minutes, I don't know, it wasn't a couple of minutes, a couple hours later, I said to Armando, I said, Armando, would you like to have mass? And he started crying and he said, I would love to have mass, but no one will ever take me to the church. I said, I would love to have mass in your home. It was crazy, all right? He didn't have a shirt, so he takes off the pillowcase off his pillow, and he wraps it around his shoulders so that he's dressed appropriately for Mass, right? And we celebrate Mass there, and I couldn't help thinking, but the Lord comes close to us, right? That, that, that are you going, I hear in my mind, are you going to get close? And then I reflect on this idea and this experience of the Lord coming close to us, right? I am the leper, right? I am the leper. I can only imagine St. Michael, when he hears Jesus is going to come to earth, he's like, Jesus... Are you going to get close? It's like closer than you could possibly imagine, right? I am that leper, and the Lord uh, chooses to get close to me. So, yes, it was a profound experience. Yep. Other thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah. Yeah, in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin. And I think that's what's imperative, is, is that it's not merely me trying to figure out my sin. Rather, it's the Spirit of Jesus coming upon me and convicting me of my sin. The difference between those two things, because we could actually see the same thing. I could look at my sin and objectively say, okay, that is sin. Um, but the difference between it being the spirit of Jesus convicting and me convicting myself or the evil one convicting me is, is what is the result of that? If the result is I suck, um, there's no way I could ever be forgiven. I can't believe I did this again. If I begin to define myself by that, that's ultimately the flesh or it's the evil one. If it's recognizing that sin, and as Francis experienced in the cave, that the Lord loves me in the midst of this, that's grace. If it moves me to go to confession, that's grace. If it moves me um, to recognize the nature of God's mercy, then that's grace. So ultimately, we could actually look at the same thing, but what is the end result determines whether or not it's of the flesh or whether or not it's of the, of the spirit. And that's why I love the spirit. I think it's a, it's a great gift of the Holy Spirit we don't think much about, but that convicting of sin. Yeah, yeah. The question is, how do we do that? Well, I pray for that every day. So like one of the prayers, one of the things I do is I just pray with the little rosary about, Lord, show me my sin. And I would say, show me my sin, not so that I judge and condemn myself, but so that I know me your mercy. So that's a consistent prayer that I have, is just asking the Holy Spirit to anoint me and to be able to show me in my sin. Yep. Bridget. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she said that we are a leper. And I think that's absolutely the case, is that sometimes there's parts of us, and this goes in some ways to your question, is that when I begin to define myself by my depravity or by my brokenness, um, that's ultimately not of the Lord. But that's when we become that leper, that, that I look at that part of me that I just can't. There has to be a reconciliation of that worst part of us, right? That part of us that we're embarrassed of, that part of us that we're shameful of. Um, and allowing ourselves literally to embrace that. That's why I love the image of St. Francis, again, naked, just standing up and saying, what I am before our God is what I am, all right? What you see is what you get. And for his ability to be able to do that, and that's not, that's not a negative. What I am before God is what I am is a positive. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, right? But that, that means that we have to be able to reconcile uh, our brokenness. If, if we take a look at, at the uh, Old Testament, when Moses confronts the Pharaoh, right, that part that, that holds them bondage, that's that part of us that we don't like. We each have to be able to confront that own Pharaoh in our life and allow the Lord to be freedom in that. Sure. Yeah, a a absolutely. The, the, absolutely. The Francis was ultimately free. I think the image of him going to his death naked is an image that is, 
is beautiful that, that in Adam and Eve, the scripture tells us that they were free. They were walking hand in hand with the Lord and they were naked, right? And yet the first thing we do is we begin to cover ourselves. We begin to acquire. For Francis, the greatest sin is one of appropriation. We acquire, we cover ourselves. That letting go and that recognizing the ability to be able to let go of it. Now that's different for everybody. What it is difficult for you to give up may not be hard for me at all. And that's, the Lord is always, the rich young man comes up and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord looks on him with love. He always looks on him with love and he asks of us whatever it is that keeps us away from him. And, and it's going to probably be something pretty close to each one of us. There's actually a book written for gals. I think it's called Seven or something like that. Is anyone familiar with it? And the whole book is, it's for, it's written for gals, but it's about detachment. And it, it, it takes seven months, it's an interesting book, it takes seven months to work through, and each month it focuses on one thing. So one of the things it says is, you have seven articles of clothing, and you wear those seven articles for the same, for the entire month. Not seven outfits, but seven articles of clothing, which is interesting. Um, one of them is uh, uh, seven foods. You eat seven foods for the whole month. One of them is seven places to shop for the whole month. One of them is you get rid of seven things from your house every day for uh, a month. So this idea of detachment actually is, again, that, that was, I, I go through the film, I, several signs of contradiction. That is a sign of contradiction to Francis. Yep. Good. Mm -hmm. Francis would say at the beginning of, at the beginning, uh, excuse me, at the end of the rule, the beginning of the uh, admonitions, um, that the friar should want one thing alone in his life, the spirit of God operating in his life. So that Francis would, when you take a look at it in his writing, he'd say, would the spirit led, the spirit led, the spirit led. So his desire was to have that continual relationship with the Holy Spirit that was continually animating his life, right? Yeah, which is where he got. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I've got the right answer. Yeah, it's not like brother, son, sister, moon. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. In many ways, she becomes, um, I was going to say conscience, that's too strong of a word. She becomes his sounding board. Francis wanted to be cloistered, and he wanted to, uh, just the, the image that he wanted to really pull away from the world. So towards the end of his death, probably half of his life he was spending in cloister. Um, which is interesting because one of the lines I love about Francis, if you've been to Assisi, he's overlooking the Umbrian Valley. Next year, we're going to Assisi together with Father, so everyone's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Parte, you're wondering what the collection is for? That's it, right? Um, he says, the world is going to be my cloister, but Claire was always the one saying, no, 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 Francis, you're not a cloister. That's the second order, which is the poor Claire's. That's our life. It's not yours. So she was always challenging Francis to, in some ways, not necessarily do what he wanted to do, but do what the Lord had originally asked him to do. The, the whole running through the fields with daisies, it's a, actually, I was going to say it's a nice image. It's not actually an image I like very much at all anyway, so it, it probably wasn't that. Um, a closeness in the re relationship with the families. But once Claire got cloistered, they did not have a lot of contact together until he got sick and he went up and lived with her for a while. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think Francis understood... Um, in a healthy way, although sometimes maybe a little bit, the tendencies of the flesh. And if you take a look at Galatians, Paul makes this comparison between the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And, and Francis understood this. Again, this would be a sign of contradiction that the works of the flesh, anger, lust, drunkenness, um, licentiousness, gossip, those kinds of things, works of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Francis understood that. And he understood that, that he had a tendency towards the things of the flesh. And that he, under, he came to understand his pr 
profound need for the work of the Spirit in his life. So I think part of it is to come to a, a, an awareness of this. And if you're going to come tomorrow night, we're going to actually talk more about this. And that is that Francis knew, left to his own devices, he's going to be in trouble. And, and that there had to be ways that he had to curb the cravings of the flesh and that ultimately he saw the, the, the Spirit of God being able to do that. For us practically... Um, I think first off is, is that we have an encounter with the Spirit of God. That, that the Holy Spirit is not something that's uh, merely a doctrine that we read about. Rather, it's a person that needs to be encountered. Uh, one would say the, the, the encounters that Francis had in the cave, the encounter that he had in his dream, the encounter he had with the leper, uh, the encounter he had in Laverna, the counter, the, these were all moved in animations of the Holy Spirit and, and allowed him to be able to see things that he wasn't aware of anymore. Uh, so that's part of it is that we pray for this encounter with a person. Uh, I pray every day, many, many times a day, uh, just to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I know that I'm uh, quite weak and I'm not able to be faithful the way the Lord wants me. So this continual, whatever it is that we can do that can cause us to continually have in the forefront of our mind a relationship with the Holy Spirit because it becomes our animator, right? The Holy Spirit becomes what animates us and ultimately what animates Francis. Um, that's also why Francis would say, stay close to the Eucharist. Uh, stay close to the sacrament of reconciliation and stay close what he would say to an orthodoxy that we r remain rooted in the church so good i'll tell you what i will stick around if anyone wants to talk father you should do a screening of the film here yeah so sometime in the, in the sometime do a screening of the film but what i've just uh finished filming and we just uh, completed and maybe that's what you're talking about the holy land because i was just in the holy land so we're doing a follow-up to the wild goose uh, it's going to be an 11-part series, and it's going to be called metanoia. And metanoia is a Greek word uh, for conversion. And in many ways, metanoia and Francis's understanding of penance would be the similar. But we did all the filming in the Holy Land, um, so broke it up in just what does it mean to be converted. So that'll be out in the fall sometime. Good?